Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Our mandate today comes from the letter of Paul to the Romans, the 8th chapter, specifically the 32nd verse. This one we're all going to read together. Are you ready? One, two, three, let's go. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him? Hallelujah. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him? also freely give us all things. Paul begins this conversation by showing you what God gave you. So you will reflect proportionately to what he cannot hold back from you because of what he gave you. What a thought. Seller, take a deep thought about this. Don't skip it. Don't rush through it. Take some minutes and allow this to sink in your heart through meditating and thinking through every word written. He has said, I did not spare my own son, but I delivered him up for you all. How shall I not with him also freely give you all things? What a glory. In simpler terms, if you have a friend, a very close friend, who loves you so much and gives you $100 million as a gift, they're rich and so they give you $100 million and says, this is my gift to you because I love you as my friend and I want you to know from today onwards, whatever you need, whatever amount you need, if it's in my means, come for it, I'll always give it. And then one day, you need a hundred dollars. One hundred dollars. But then you have a friend who gave you a hundred million. What attitude would you have if you went to that friend to ask them for a hundred dollars? What feeling would you carry in your heart? Would there be a hesitation if it is in their means to give you that money? Would there be any hesitation in your heart if you went to them for help? Answer me. No. Why? Because they gave you way more than you're asking and they have given you the guarantee that whenever you need, come to me, I'll always give you. Now, Jesus is not a hundred million dollars. Jesus, the Bible says in Corinthians, is the indescribable gift. Hallelujah. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 15, 
Now thanks be to God for his gift. And Paul called it precious beyond telling. He is indescribable, inexpressible, a free gift. Jesus is free, but no words can describe him in value. No words can describe him in glory. No words can describe him in power. No words can describe him. No words can describe the gift of Jesus. What can you ever equate Jesus to? He's an indescribable gift. The Bible has said, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I don't know whether these things affect you the way they affect some of us. But when I read these portions of scriptures, I find myself consumed in the reality of their impression on the human soul. To know that he did not spare his own son. But he gave him up to deliver you. And then he says, how shall he not, how can I not with Jesus give you all things and without any price you pay freely, without any conditions or terms, able and willing to give you all things, all things, all things. Tell your neighbor, I am a rich person. I'm so rich. Think about it. You know, when the Bible says in Timothy that the Spirit speaks expressly, that in the last days, men shall depart from the faith and give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Many of us don't know the seriousness. Although the spirit has spoken expressly. In other words, this is something so important to the heart of God that it has so much emphasis way beyond language might ever express or articulate. And in the last days, men are going to depart from the faith. This is a doctrinal issue. Satan is a crafty being, a smart one. He knows how to hold us captive. He knows what he can do. And remember, he's using this because he has no power. He was defeated. Now all power and authority has been given to the church. Satan knows he has nothing against you. But he can trick you into tripping yourself. Into leading yourself in a snare because of your ignorance. Now something came up a few years ago in the world of prosperity. And many people don't understand the story quite well. You see, church originally, the church of Jesus Christ, was designed to be a self-sustaining entity. That's how God designed it. God has never designed the church to be reliant, subservient to any sort of order for its provision, for the running of the programs of heaven. That is why when he speaks to his disciples concerning the way in which he sends them out, he says, when I sent you out without a pass, when I sent you out without shoes, when I sent you out 
without anything. He asked them, did you lack anything? And the Bible says, and they say, nothing did we lack. Because what the kingdom sends, it provides for. His will is his bill. The Bible says that you've been begotten of the will of the Father. That means you are here at the expense of the kingdom. You are not designed to lack anything. Tell your neighbor, I'm not designed for lack. That's what the Bible says. So, when the movements, now I'm going to give an example of America. When the movements come through in the Pentecostal movements and the Zusa streets and the Word of Faith movement and stuff, a time came where it was important for the church to start taking seriously the responsibility of building wealth within us. Or else, we were going to be relying on the provisions of the state and that can never be enough to run the agenda of heaven. No economy can fund the agenda of heaven. The needs of the kingdom of God, only God can provide. No economy is big enough. Do you agree? So our great forefathers, wonderful generals, started bringing that conversation in a time where it was rather considered to be seen to even have wealth. And I'm going to come to that a bit later because there's a lot I need to explain to you as to what the devil did in deception. And so they started to teach about prosperity and that prosperity was designed for us all. God has called us to be prosperous. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayst observe to do according. And the Bible says, for then you shall make your way prosperous and thou shalt have good success. It is the will of God for us to be prosperous. Our fathers started to teach that because there's a lot that was wanting, especially in the evangelical movement where you and I have been begotten. Evangelicals were not running the world. Other religions had understood the responsibility of the church to the world. But many of the evangelical people then, they had the spirit. They had the anointing. The glory of God was flowing, but were not an active element in the progress of the world. And then our father started to bring out these conversations, which were in the Bible. But Satan had um, robbed us of this understanding. As funny doctrines crept in unawares, and I'll explain that later, like I promised. So anyway, they started to teach prosperity. But Satan tricked some which were not yet mature to stretch this doctrine of prosperity way beyond the borders of of its liberties. And then it became a transactional thing. It became a manipulative thing. To a point where some teachers started to teach till today that you cannot receive a miracle of healing, for example, until you sow a particular seed. That your destiny is in trouble because you've not given a certain amount. And so on and so forth and it wasn't as we were growing up and we started to watch Christian television then. Uh, some ministers came on the platforms and started to teach things that confused us even the more. And I believe if you've been around in salvation for quite some time, you've heard of teachings where a guy goes in front of television and 
maybe preaches from a text in Psalm 74. Then he says, as I close, there's somebody right now watching me. And when I was going to pray, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said that there's a man, there's a woman watching me from home. And he is speaking to you to sow a seed in the numbers of 74 as we were studying Psalms 74. And probably God wants to give you to give $74. Or there's somebody God wants you to give $740. Some it's $7,040. And I know some of you crazy enough to give $740,000. Well, probably there's a millionaire in dollars watching me and you can give $7.4 million. Whatever God has impressed on your life, but it's got to be in the numbers of seven and four. Listen, listen, listen. Now, people are getting confused. Eh? They want to jump out of this. And I know, listen, listen, listen to me. Don't turn on the side. Don't call anybody. Don't. Just go to your phone. Just go to your phone right now. Certain things can only be done very quick and in faith. And then the manipulation starts. God wants to bless you. There's a woman right now. Your boys and drags. And he says, if you can give that $7,400, your boy is going to be free. Can somebody give me some? keys while the people are giving. <laughs> then the giving comes. Now those of us who are growing in the faith, we have this question. Was the Bible written in chapters and verses? The Bible was written before the chapters and verses came through. The chapters and verses was a man's work to help us find some sort of reference or give reference to the scriptures. So if you're searching for something, you don't search blindly. You know where to look. That's why they invented chapters and verses. There is nothing sacred about those numbers. But somebody has ordained them and put some anointing on them. Put some divine purpose on it. To convince somebody that their miracle is on that number they have spoken. And then they discovered that the weak, the unskilled, the inexperienced and the gullible could easily fall for such deception. And then it became a culture. And it was a time where we're importing everything. So our folks started it. They even took it to another level. I want to pray, but God tells me that there are 400 people here, each with a million shillings. I'm not forcing you. Listen, I don't want your money. Preacher, preacher. So then, why don't you tell us to give it to the neighbor? Million, million shillings. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. And then some come up. But he's looking for probably about 60 million. That's probably why he said 60 people. Or 40 million. Because he has a need. He has a debt. He borrowed money. To do things that don't even touch the kingdom. But he's in trouble. Okay? And he has some sacred cows to milk. <laughs> so. Then 20 out of the 40 stand up. Then he. You give them some envelopes. But as he's saying give them some envelopes. He's counting the people. Then he discovers, oh my God, these are 20 and I need 40. Rekada. Let me help you. Let me help you. Let me help you. 
you're going to say me, I have 500,000. Oh. <laughs> and then they bring some in front, some on the side, then the rest of you, they say, the rest of you came from there. Like, we don't even need your money. The blessing these ones are going to receive. It's nothing compared to, you know. I mean, what we give them is way bigger than what we're going to give you. And then you see this innocent widow who earns 10,000 shillings a month and she has given 5,000 of it being blessed less than the man who has a billion shillings on the account but he has given only a million. Do your math and tell me who God values most. That is why I am going to say this with no fear of contradiction or being misunderstood by anybody. These things ministries do where they reward the biggest givers. That is so demonically wrong. Because if I have 10,000 and I've given 5,000 of my 10 and you have 100 million and you've only given a million, what makes you a better giver? I've given 50% of my income. Those are doctrines of devils. The trick here is to trip people to give outside the purposes and will of God. Because if you do, then it means you have no reward because you're not giving in pattern. That's why some people give, but they don't see, you know, the blessing that should follow their obedience. Such people are manipulated, but they don't change. Nothing changes on them. So when such people practice that, they brought a certain shame on the word prosperity. The problem was not prosperity. The problem was that some people misused it. So they threw it out baby and birth. You see? They say the prosperity gospel is not the gospel. They threw it all out. And then, that's one group. Then you have another group of people somewhere in the middle here who are not yet sure whether prosperity is the will of God. And it's from some of this group that they started to fight the people who had abused prosperity because they were not mature enough to handle this uh, topic. Because remember, with great power comes great responsibility. You cannot claim to walk in the prosperity God has designed by his word if you are not ready to grow to the maturity and handle the responsibility that comes with that prosperity. So, when these ones saw the immature, some of them had already doubted that prosperity was the will of God, again, by false doctrine, who were taught and convinced that it is righteous for you to be poor. It is godly for you to be poor, which is also a doctrine of the devils. Let me tell you something. I was challenging people earlier and I said, Uganda as a nation, for example, if, if you look at our GDP, we run about, about $45 billion. There are enough to run this economy. There is a man on the face of the earth, one human being, one human being, who owns more than $170 billion and it's on one man's account, in one man's name. There's another place in the world like Uganda where you're running 44, 45 million people 
on 45 billion. Do you see already that there is an imbalance on the earth? Is it the rich man's fault? It's not his fault. But I'm always telling us, imagine that man with $170 billion was born again. And I'm not talking about born again ceremoniously. Born again, born again, born again times three. And he was a founder of the needs of the kingdom. What would the gospel look like? So some of you who think that prosperity is ungodly, it's because you have not tested what it would look like if it found the right hands. And some of the right hands are in this room. Move around our nation. The hospitals are built by Catholic churches. Schools are built by Catholic churches. Many of the business entities in the world, these, some of these religious organizations can actually collect themselves to some common sense that we need to be a contributive factor to our economy. Evangelicals are still in those little small wars. You, that beard is demonic. He's putting on a ring. That ring must be coming from hell. He's that shirt. Mm -mm, I doubt it. Why is the stage black? You, you're so carnal. You're so carnal. You're so carnal. That one must be going. It's my underwater. That one has snakes. I suspect she's using a. Yeah. Now imagine what the president of a nation would think when he has that kind of mentality to talk to. And it also has numbers. It's controlling people. Our leaders even need to exercise so much patience to listen to us. Because we are not thinking where they are thinking. Are you following what I'm saying? So you have a bunch of people who think that it's wrong to be prosperous. It's sinful. It's ungodly. We're going to heaven. You know, there's a preacher who is saying, I wish we go back to the early church where they sold all their houses, sold everything, and then brought everything to the feet of the apostle. I thought to myself, these guys in Acts 4 were sure Jesus was coming back next week. So what was the essence of keeping a house? But also, this church was a young church. They were starting life. There's a lot they were trying to understand. I'm not saying you can't sell your house or give to the Lord as he wills you to give. But it's not under pressure. It shouldn't even be out of necessity. It should be by the leading of the Spirit. Now, imagine you told your church members, sell all your houses tomorrow and bring all the money here. Then we distribute it all to the poor. How do we separate the hard worker and the rebellious one who we are trying to fund because they don't want to work? Are you using your mind? Are you following what I'm saying? Now, what if there's a hard worker who is faithful in their hard work and their giving and there's a brother who refused to work. He's living in his mother's house. He's 45. He has refused to leave. You see what I'm saying? So you're saying that they should sell the houses of the other brother who works hard to fund the rebellion of this ninja. That's not what God was saying. Are you learning something? Has the Bible called us to be big givers? Yes. I'm a big giver and a wise one. Are you following me? 
and there cannot be a seed without a harvest. Don't judge people's harvest when you don't know their seed. Don't judge a man's harvest, I repeat, before you know his seed. Are you following what I'm saying? So, back to what I was trying to tell us. So, some of these people said, uh-uh. Prosperity is seed. And that's what it was portrayed. And some even feared to have wealth. No, listen. That's also a doctrine of the devil. God has willed all of us to be prosperous, but also carry the maturity to handle that wealth for the purposes of God, not for our own selves. We're not talking about the lust of the eyes, like some of our people here, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. The Bible says those things do not proceed from the Father. Now, if you're not mature enough to handle it, and then you misrepresent it, it doesn't mean that it is wrong. God wants us to bring that equilibrium Balance this thing up by helping people understand you can actually be wealthy, but for God. You can actually be wealthy, but not a Wester. You can have it all for the glory of the Lord. When I look at these kids on the streets, I want to take all of them into a home. I want to feed all of them. I want to give them the best education. And I look at a single mother trying to raise their child. God is my witness and my wife. I cannot tell you how many single mothers' children we pay fees every time. Because every time I see a child who cannot afford and, and they are hungry, when I see them on the road, I weep. Sometimes I weep when I'm seeing them being carried on the back and their mothers are begging bread. And I'm thinking, God, empower the church tomorrow so we can be an answer to this. In fact, if you study the Greek word prosperity, to prosper, it is the word that directly translates us to go forward, to advance. To advance. That's what it means. To advance. So, do you want to tell me that God doesn't believe in your advancement? Are you taking your child to school to stay in the same grade? Some people think so. Are you going to work every morning to come back with nothing? No. Are we building ministry to be stuck? No. God has not designed man to be stuck. Look at just in COVID when they isolated us and just told us to stay in our houses. People started running mad. The reports on domestic violence went up to the roof. Why? Because people couldn't even live with each other. Why? But what's disturbing them is they've been confined to a certain box. It's enough to disturb a man when they are limited. If you've never gone through a phase of frustrated potential, you cannot understand it. When you feel that God has designed you for profit, but you can't translate that to the world to see, and yet you know very well, your end is not only profit, there's a purpose to it. Am I talking to somebody? That's what the Bible says, blessed be the Lord who loadeth us with Benefits. Daily loadeth us with benefits. Every day God prospers you. Every morning you wake up in the place and provision of prosperity. That's just how God works. So it is godly to be prosperous. Hallelujah. Now, he's defining our prosperity here. He's defining our inheritance. Listen to what he has said. He did not spare his own son. 
he did not spare his own son. And he said, if I could give you Jesus, what is so big for you to ask? Are you following me? If I gave you Jesus, what is so big for you to ask? What can I give you? And freely. This is what he's saying. Psalms 84 verses 11. He says that the Lord is the son. And the Lord is the shield. And the Bible tells us that he gives us every day. He gives glory and grace. And for such, because of the glory and grace he gives, he says, no good thing shall he withhold from them who walk uprightly. No good thing. If you look at something and say, that's good. God says, it's yours. It's yours. If you don't like it, it's not yours. If it's not good to your eyes, it's alright. But anything that touches your desire and attracts your vision to say, this is a good thing. God has said, how can I withhold it? You're my child. Sometimes I look at my daughter. The other day she went and got a hairband. Eh? They had gotten us some hairbands. And then she likes them a lot. She likes hairbands. I don't know what is on her head with hairbands. So she puts one up. And so one of those days I saw her with very nice a hairband. And she was fighting for one. And then one broke. Then I traveled and I bought her many Many. You understand? And you want to tell me that I'm more righteous and loving than God? If she likes her bands, get her hair bands. They can only be children once. Yeah. She likes nice socks and you can't afford them. Buy them. That's the point. Now, I imagine I can do that for my daughter with love. And I'm thinking, now this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I look at something... What does he think? Somebody shout hallelujah. Top somebody and tell him, I cannot be poor even if I try. Freely, he said. Why? Because you're my child. You're my child. I will not withhold anything good from you. See, people have misunderstood God. We have a very wrong understanding of God. And then somebody says something like, you know, when you ask God, it can either be a yes or a no or a wait. And then you tell him, show it to me in scripture. Because I can show you a scripture that says, for all things in him are yeah and in him, amen, and to the glory of the Father. The Bible says that Jesus I, Paul, taught, Silvanus taught, and all the other ministers, the one we preached among you as Timotheus taught, in him there was not yea and nay. He said, in him was yea. So you say, so then why does God deny me? God has never denied you. You were just not ready or mature for it. The car is there, but you can't drive it. Doesn't mean that the car is not available for you. It only means you just don't know how to drive it. But it's available for you. 
Are you following me, child of God? Yes. In him was yea. There was no nay. So why are you telling me that there is a nay when you can't show me the scripture? At least I have the reference. There's a lot we need to understand about this person we call Jesus. Jesus comes to them and asks them, who do men say I am? And everyone knows. Everyone knows what men say who Jesus is. And then he gets to them and says, okay, but who do you say I am? And all the 11 have no words. There's only one fellow who knows who he is. All the 11 only know what they are told. That's why I told ministers earlier and I told them we are in trouble. Because many of the people we pastor don't know us as God has anointed us. They only relate with us on what they hear about us. If they hear that we are right, they agree. If they hear rumor tomorrow that I found Apostle Emma uh, in a shrine, they just believe it. You believe all the good and bad about us. That's what you know about us. That's why I tell people, it's also another level of immaturity. It's another level of immaturity. Where you know your men of God only by what you're told about them. Not what God has told you about them. I have a sermon on that, but it will be touching mostly Peter as a man. So you understand why even in the resurrection, when they go into the tomb and find no Jesus there, the stone had been laid away. They enter and the Bible says they find a person. They find an angel in there. And what does the angel tell them? The angel tells them, go tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus goes before you in Galilee. In other words, go tell the eleven and Peter. And Peter. You know, it's one thing for God to say, go tell the church and because there was something, there's a relationship God had built with this man that when it comes to emphasis here, tell all of them, but most importantly, Peter must know that I'm going to Galilee because he knows, he understands. I mean, listen, Jesus was a man also as he was God. Imagine a man walking behind you and he's ready to kill for you. When there's another one, who can walk away because they had a room about you. But there's a one who... Hey. He can kill for you. You understand what I'm saying? And let me tell you as men of God, we know you. We know those who come for bread. Those who come for life. And those who don't even know why they're here. <laughs> when Jesus went through persecution, all who came for bread fled. All of them. Who come for miracle, husband, breakthrough, general prayer. And he asks his disciples, are you also going to leave? He says, for where shall we go? For with thee are the words of life. You get it? Yes, you get it. It's different from when you're just coming for a car or you have problems, you need rent, and that's why you come to this man of God. But it's another when you actually come 
to receive life. To receive life. I'll teach about it, but I want to emphasize on Peter. I want you to understand the relationship. Why it's on this rock he builds his church. Why it's on Peter he builds his church. No other disciple could he use to typify his heart with man. Back to what I was trying to teach us here. That there's a lot we have spoken as doctrines of devils and misrepresented God. Listen. God wants to give you all according to his will. The Bible says it is the desire of the Father to give you the kingdom. It's his will. He wants to give you the realm. It's his pleasure. That's what the Bible says. It's the good pleasure of the Father. The Bible says, to give you the kingdom. There is nothing God wants to hold from you. You know, when you have been told like that for so many years, so many years, so many years, you tend to believe it. And when you believe it, you go to God and you start asking like a slave. You don't ask like a son. You ask for so little. Do you know in there are people who go to God and they say, Father, help me pay this debt of 30,000. Help me pay this debt of 100 million. I owe 3 billion shillings. Please help me. God says, all are yours. Why are you asking me for 3 billion? Everything I have made is for you, my child. Everything you see in the face of the world is yours. That's why one man sang, This is my father's word. And to my listening all nature sings around me bring the music of the this is my father's world hallelujah everything you see was designed to favor you the days that are ahead and months to come will respond to your name because they understand why you are on the earth. They were ordained to be alive for you. He said all are yours. He says, why wouldn't I give them to you? Why wouldn't I? That's what he's asking in Romans. He's not only affirming it, but he's asking you why you would think that he hasn't given you all things. All things are yours. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 12. And this is the challenge. That many of us have received the wrong spirit. He says we have not received the spirit of the world. He now is talking about the fallen world. The fallen world has a spirit. 
When we come into this fallen world, we don't come with that spirit. We come with the understanding of an inheritance that we have by God in this life and the life to come. That's what the Bible says. Listen. We don't give up things without the understanding of who we are giving. None of us can ever outgive God. None of us. That is why it says some of you will lose wives and children and money and all these things. But it says, but you shall receive a hundredfold and it adds in this life. There is nothing you have invested in the kingdom that you will not be outgiven by God. Because God doesn't need my money. He doesn't need my car. He doesn't need anything from me. He's not a poor God. I says you shall receive a hundredfold in this time. He says houses, brethren, sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands. There are people we lost when we chose the gospel. But look what he gave us. There are things we lost when we chose not to work for men to preach the gospel. But see what he has given us. You will never outgive God. Because everything everything you could ever dream of as good, he has already availed it for you. What can you give him? But he hasn't given you. Think about this. Because some of you have it here, but you don't live the reality of that expression and experience. He says you have not received the spirit of this world. The spirit of this world is a spirit of scarce resources. It's a spirit of struggle. It's a spirit of competition. It's a spirit of survival instinct, like the original primates you read in your biology. They only know one thing, to survive. We didn't come in this world as survivors. We're not survivors. No. The Bible says we reign as kings. Hallelujah, glory to God. We're not victims of circumstances. We're not victims of economies. I told you the English word economy comes from the Latin word economia. Studying the science of luck. It is already in the world that nothing is ever enough. Every resource is scarce. So we are all competing for scarce resources. And to manage that is economia, economics. To know how to manage the giving and taking. That's not the world God has created for you. When I mean world, I mean eon. Spiritual. The period and age, the times that are appointed for us spiritually. The realm in which we've been invited when he says it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The word kingdom there is realm. To invite you to a realm that is not conscious of luck. It even breaks my heart the more. When those who don't understand what I'm talking about come to a third world country like this one. And teach that it's wrong to be prosperous for God. I tell people, this is the only way you can get these third world nations to first world nations. Because some of them are not poor in their own doing. These are some of the first world nations to take advantage of the third world nations. That's why they are richer. But then, the gospel is the only answer our politicians are trying. But let me tell you, they can't. It's too far for them. Because it's only the wisdom of God can do. Imagine we preached this gospel and somebody believed me. And we had billionaires in dollars in this room. And every man at the sound of my voice was a billionaire in dollars. 
listen, you will change the trajectory and history of this nation. We can pick poverty out of it. Do you know how many women are dying now because of poverty? Do you know how many children are sleeping hungry because of poverty? Do you know how many children are dead at birth because we cannot take the facilities, the health facilities in the places where they need them? And God needs an answer. And I tell you, it might not come from a politician. It might come or will come, I'm sure, from somebody seated in this room. Somebody shout hallelujah. You've seen Samaritan Pass. That Christian organization. Reaching out in Haiti. When they had you know those devastations. And you could see that the gospel was preached. You saw Samaritan Pass in the days of COVID. And how much Billy Graham's son and the rest spent. Just to make sure that they extend the love of God. Because there were resources that were available for that provision. Why don't Christians dream that bigger? Why should we always think about our own money, our own children, our own pockets, our own families? No, no, no. Start thinking beyond. Because God wants to entrust you with so much. That's why he gave you so much. That's why he gave you so much. Hallelujah. These things are spiritual. They're spiritual. We did not receive the spirit of this world. We are not conscious, should not be conscious to lack. But it says, but you have received the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us. Not will be given, but are freely given. These things are not going to come to you. Brother, they are available for you. I'm just waking you up to what's already available for you in Christ. Take it and take its responsibility and ask for the maturity to manage it for the sake of God. Are you following what I'm saying? The Spirit of God always tells us it's all yours. It's available for you. Health is yours. Peace is yours. The blessing of the Lord maketh rich and it addeth no sorrow. Wealth is yours. Victory is yours. All are yours. First Corinthians chapter 3 verses 21. He says, therefore let no man glory in men for all things are I'm preaching the Bible here. I'm not using my own mind. This is God speaking. All things are yours. And he says, whether Paul, and it begins with revelation. You see, that's why the Bible says he will not withhold anything good from a man which is upright. Because he trusts already that you are aligned to truth enough to know how to deal with whatever he has availed for you. You see, now here he begins with revelation. Whether Paul, Paul's revelation, or Apollos, Apollos' revelation, or Kephas, or the world, or life, or death, all things present Oh, the next car to be built. The next technology in construction. He says, things to come. He says, all are yours and you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. So some people have this delusion, deception again. That when you have so much, you lose Christ. No. I know people in this ministry who are filthy rich. Yet deeply, deeply spiritual. Anointed, mature, 
grounded in truth. Hallelujah, somebody. Hallelujah, somebody. He said, oh, are yours. Walk the world like it's your father's. Don't be intimidated by greatness and success. When you know who you are. Because it's all for the kingdom and its progress. For the glorification of the name of Jesus Christ. We see these things. I no longer, I don't seek for wealth to change my life. Jesus changed it already. I don't even seek to be rich anymore. Because the Bible says, all are mine. The Bible says, do not labor to be rich. He says, cease from your wisdom. It's human wisdom to try to be what God has already made you. Hey! Did you get it? It's human wisdom to try to be what God has already made you. You are rich. All are yours. All are yours. All are yours. Revelation 21 verses 7. He says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. It's a place of breaking through his revelation. That place of overcoming, if you study the context, is a place of breaking through into the full revelation divine purpose. When you understand who God is, he says, you inherit all things. And he says, I will be your God and you shall be my son. In other words, that has nothing to do with the relationship I have with you. It will be strong, even stronger because I'm on your side. But I have designed you for an inheritance. And not just an inheritance of a portion, but all things. If the sons and daughters of God understood this, the gospel would be preached different. It would be preached different. Especially in the evangelicals. Imagine if the hospitals were building. We can put altars there. That while our people are dying and loathing in pain, we have men and women of God who are praying 24-7 for the sick in the hospitals, praying for the kidneys to work, praying for the liver to function, praying for the heart to pump again. My God, they enter our hospitals knowing, firstly, God takes precedence. The doctors are going to be just an extension. But God is going to be working. We build strong businesses and know that we can hire our sons and daughters and we build according to heavenly principle, integrity, commitment, hard work, and all the other things that are required in scripture. We build schools and we know that in the madness as we see some governments passing laws that are, you know, taking advantage of, of our children in schools. We know that this is a Christian school with a Christian philosophy. And it is built like any other successful private school out there. And our 
people are students can compete with anybody in the world and then from scratch they're told who jesus is they learn to speak in tongues they learn to walk in the spirit they learn to raise the dead by the time your son is seven years he's speaking in tongues and casting out devils by the time your daughter is 15 she can walk in the spirit she can prophesy that's what we see a while ago after the first service you know the lord showed me a vision a couple of days ago a very interesting vision touching the rapture he showed me things now today pastor Ronnie's daughter comes to me and then she tells me oh the lord gave me a vision and she starts speaking everything the lord had showed me a few days ago and i'm thinking these are the kids we are raising Instead of praying for her, I found myself praying with her. Are you following what I'm saying? Because we are deliberate. We are deliberate. Now imagine that kind of girl tomorrow is going to enter the parliament. What decisions will she make? If she can hear God early. And she has access to everything. Because all things are hers. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? And you're mentoring the next prime minister. You're mentoring the next president. You're mentoring the next army chief of staff. You're mentoring the next high court judge. You're mentoring them. They are sitting under the anointing. And they know that they are going to stand in a place where nothing can be denied them because they know who they have believed, who they are, and who is working in the inside of them. They make decisions solid, not intimidated, not manipulated. You can't gift them because they have been taught since childhood that the gift blinds the wise and perverses the words of the righteous they have been raised to know who they are they are sufficient in the sufficiency of god they can access anything they want to access because they have been raised right the bible says they were looking for a city whose builder was god this is the mandate this is the great commission. He said, occupy until I come. But you're not only going to occupy with words. You're not going to occupy by speaking. You have to occupy by taking your places and making sure that wherever God has positioned you, you do big for the kingdom. You ask big for the kingdom. You make prayers. You pray a prayer that starts to even shape the organization you're working for. Because you have a global understanding of things. You have an international interpretation of divine purpose. How can we go wrong when we've raised such a generation? But now imagine the doctrines that we're teaching. Oh, you know, if you can have yourself a house and drive a small car and go to heaven. And then they say, she lived humbly. That's not humility. That's false humility. That's not true humility. True humility is doing big for God. Being submitted and subservient to his purposes enough for him to live fully in you. Our God is big. Our God is big. Tell your neighbor, our God is big. So, stop praying for small things. You're wasting our time. I think I told a story once how there was this guy who was an overnight. And then the pastor tells him, pray. And then there was this brother who was in the meeting. They were praying in the overnights. 
And you know, as you're praying, people are pacing and they're bypassing each other. So this guy wanted money. I think he wanted 300,000 shillings. How's that? $90 or something? So he starts praying. 300,000, Lord. 300,000. 300,000, Jesus. Jesus! 300,000. Now, there's this brother as well. He's praying. Mashata, Koseba, Tika, Rekata. Nations, nations, nations. Hallelujah. Nations, hallelujah. Nations, Makota, Zobradegle. I take over, I take over. But the brother asking for 300,000 is louder than the fellow asking for. Yeah. 300,000, Lord. Mitwala Satu, Mitwala Satu. 300,000, Lord, translated. In Luganda is 300,000. So this guy goes out into his pocket. He touches the brother. Hey, hey. You are asking for 300,000. Yes. God has answered you. Go away and let us who are asking for billions and nations to pray. Give us some space. <laughs> you're, you're sweating and littering. Where men are supposed to be asking for billions and nations. So he paid him. He, he, he answered his prayer to create space for him to pray for things. <laughs> Shut somebody and tell him I cannot be poor even if I try. <laughs> he says you shall lend to nation and you shall not need to borrow. Next line. And you shall what? Reign, not in nations. He said, you shall reign over nations, but they shall not reign over you. This is not you reigning in a nation. He's, he's not even talking about the office of the presidency. No, he's talking about you being above presidents. Plural. Because I mean, I'm seeing a person here, Ivory Coast comes to you, Malawi comes to you, and another European nation, and they all come in the same city. You know why some of you can't even do anything? Because you can't believe it, it's too much. You are looking for rent. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And, and, and I see nations coming to you, and they say, sir, we need a loan or a grant of a few billion dollars. I don't know. Who am I talking to? Who am I speaking to? Who is bold enough to believe? Some of you, you will be the witness that I was there when Apostle was saying it, but my neighbor took it. Refuse to only be a witness, be an active participator in what God wants to do. Because let me tell you, the next move of the Spirit will require prosperous men. Hallelujah, glory to God. It will require prosperity on every level in the country and outside the country. Yes, the lame will walk, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dumb will speak, the dead will be raised, salvation will come. But when it comes to the institutions of this world, the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God. 
Hallelujah. 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 They become the kingdoms. That's what it means to take over. We don't need political power. No, some of you are ordained for that. And that's all right. We need spiritual authority. Dominion. I mean real dominion. Where the nation will say, we need you. We don't want you. We need you. I know some people cannot believe what I'm saying. But it's not my fault. They have been deceived since they were little. They have been raised in the same doctrine. They've listened to it. They've swallowed it like medicine. It's in their system. They can't believe to move forward. But I believe somebody in this room has connected to what I'm saying. All are yours. Now, I'm going to give us five minutes. And those five minutes, I really want you to ask big. I really, really, really want you to ask big. Pray for something. Now listen, listen, listen to this instruction. As you're praying, as you're praying, don't say, Father, I am asking for this. No, say, Father, I thank you because this, whatever you mentioned, is mine and I receive it. And then start defining the details of what you know is already available for you. The Bible says, with thanksgiving, make your requests. Hallelujah. Don't beg. Thank him. Open your mouth and let's thank Jesus. Speak something so dangerous that the chair next to you will feel it. That the building you're seated in will feel it. That Uganda will feel it. That Africa will feel it. That Asia will hear it. That Europe will hear it. That America will receive it. Both North and South America. That the islands, the byways and highways will respond. Pray big. 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 Praise God from Him. Oh, blessings flow.
and I pray for every woman, man and child at the sound of my voice that we will be mature and ready for what's already available for your purpose. We will never lack. We will never struggle. We will never strife. All are ours. We are Christ's and Christ is God's. I thank you because your message has been planted and it's the hope for Uganda, it's the hope for the world, it's the hope for our age. If you have received that word, celebrate God. Celebrate God. Celebrate God. Celebrate God. Celebrate him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This is your father's world. All is well with you. I want to do one more thing before we close the service. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, everything I have spoken is of a covenant. But yet that's not the reason. It's one of the reasons. The most important is that Jesus shed his blood for you and he was raised for your glory. 
So if you're there and you say, in whatever I have heard, I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Today, I receive you in my heart as Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.